Hi, this is Pam Johnson with my third and final talk about CT for pulmonary embolism. And now we're going to review pathologies and diagnoses other than acute pulmonary embolism, as shown on this list here. Let's start with chronic PE. These are, uh, they have a typical configuration. It can either be a, um, a mural thrombus or a linear filling defect. If you see a really thin linear filling defect within a pulmonary artery, that's a web and it's the sequela of a prior pulmonary embolism. That's not what an acute pulmonary embolism looks like. The vessels may become tortuous, and then the pulmonary, main pulmonary artery can enlarge. And in the lung field, you may see mosaic perfusion. So here's a nice example of a linear web or the sequela of a prior pulmonary embolism in that right lower lobe pulmonary artery, not to be mistaken for an acute thrombus. Another example of more linear clot that's more linear in appearance, and in the left lower lobe, now there's a large acute thrombus in the right lower lobe in this case. But um, if you just see these linear findings that are a little bit more nodular and you don't have an old study, I think you're sort of stuck in the position where you have to say that it, it could be a thrombus of indeterminate age. This, the unfortunate sequela of patients with chronic pulmonary embolism is that they can develop pulmonary hypertension. This is one of the common causes of this disorder because they develop an elevated pulmonary vascular resistance and then right ventricular hypertrophy. This has a very poor prognosis with median life expectancy of less than three years. There are a number of, of papers that evaluated the main pulmonary artery caliber to identify whether there's a cutoff that indicates that the patient has pulmonary arterial hypertension. And one of the things that that we tell our residents is to be very careful. This is a, a diagnosis that carries a very, very high mortality and a poor outcome. So, you know, unless, unless they have the diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension, our interpretation is always that the pulmonary artery is enlarged, which can be seen in the setting of pulmonary hypertension. And we use 34 millimeters, 32 to 34 millimeters as the cutoff to indicate that the pulmonary, the main pulmonary artery is enlarged. We have a study that's coming out of Hopkins showing that it really does correlate with the patient's age and that the pulmonary artery may be larger in older patients and may not necessarily indicate the presence of pulmonary hypertension. And then one important caveat is that if the patient has pulmonary fibrosis, the pulmonary artery can dilate in the absence of pulmonary hypertension. So these patients should not be necessarily assumed to have pulmonary hypertension. In this study, they found that uh, the upper limit of normal was found to be 29 millimeters, but we use a higher number. We use 32 to 34 millimeters as our cutoff for indicating pulmonary hypertension in, in the main pulmonary artery. Um, one of the other findings is the artery to bronchus ratio, and if that's increased, that's a very specific indicator of pulmonary hypertension. Nice example of a very dilated left pulmonary artery, 35 millimeters. So in that case, in, uh, that would be considered very suspicious for the presence of pulmonary hypertension. So let's talk about some of the conundrums that we all face often in practice. And these include the isolated subsegmental pulmonary embolism. When a test is too good, we just, now we're finding these emboli and you often have the clinician say, uh, any chance it was there before? Do I have to treat? Well, whether or not the patient gets treated is not really the radiologist's decision, but 
we just make the finding and we have to report the finding and then many factors have to be taken into consideration with as to whether or not the patient should be treated in terms including their risk associated with anticoagulation as opposed to the risk associated with continued pulmonary embolism. Here's a review article uh, that compared several different research studies of pulmonary embolism in patients, some of whom were not treated. And what they found was um, the patients who were, did not have anticoagulation had a very low risk of recurrent PE. Um, no treatment actually had a, a risk of 0%, as you can see in this column here. So no treatment, recurrent PE, 0%. Fatal PE in patients who had no treatment, again, 0%. So this is becoming an area of controversy as to whether these patients should be treated. And in this paper from Radiology published in 2007, um, the authors wrote, the clinical relevance of small peripheral pulmonary emboli and the need to administer anticoagulants in such cases remains a subject of debate. As recently emphasized, there are three clinical scenarios in which most would agree that even a small embolus requires treatment. These are patients with a small embolus and inadequate pul cardiopulmonary reserve, so they're at, at risk if they develop more embolism. Patients with a small embolus and coexisting DBT, or those who have recurrent small emboli to prevent chronic PE and pulmonary hypertension. Paper then went on to say that there are some patients with small pulmonary emboli and no DVT in, which, in whom the risk associated with anticoagulation will outweigh the benefit. And in these patients, perhaps anticoagulation is not the most prudent course of action. Um, so, but as we know, this is an area of ongoing investigation um, and controversy. So, okay, moving on to some of the unusual causes of pulmonary embolism. Here's a patient with a large left gonadal vein thrombus, shown here on the left side. And this can cause pulmonary embolism in a very small percentage of patients. So here's another patient with a right gonadal vein, right ovarian vein thrombus, who also had a right lower lobe pulmonary embolism. So just important to recognize that there is a risk of pulmonary embolism associated with gonadal vein thrombus. The next is a quiz case. We can see thrombus in the right pulmonary artery, but it's not the typical appearance for a large bland thrombus. And in fact, it's heterogeneous and enhancing. And this is a tumor thrombus in this patient with a very large right-sided renal cell carcinoma. So that can, that can occur when the RCC invades the inferior vena cava and then the tumor thrombus uh, disseminates into the pulmonary arteries. Another challenging case, this looks like bland thrombus, but it um, looks like a large saddle embolism, um, filling the pulmonary artery in this patient who had hemoptysis despite a three-month course of anticoagulant therapy. So just so you know, this was how the first scan looked, and three months later, this is how the scan looks again, completely unchanged. When you see a case like this, you need to start to worry about pulmonary artery sarcoma. It's very, very rare. But if the patient's anticoagulated and there is absolutely no change in the appearance in a large thrombus that fills the pulmonary artery, you need to, to be concerned and start to consider this as an alternative diagnosis. It's often misdiagnosed as a PE, and the way the diagnosis is made is that they, are, they fail the treatment with thrombolytics. The characteristic findings described 
in the literature in patients with pulmonary artery sarcoma are that the, thro the, the thrombus occupies the entire lumen of the main or a proximal pulmonary artery. The artery may be expanded. If the, if the attenuation is heterogeneous with necrosis or hemorrhage or ossification, that really should increase your suspicion even further. And certainly if you see extraluminal extension or the presence of metastatic disease, then you should be very concerned that, that the patient actually has a sarcoma. Of note, though, chronic pulmonary embolism can calcify as well. Let's talk about some of the zebras, or more unusual clinical situations and findings in the pulmonary arteries. The first being congenital heart disease. These studies can be very difficult to perform, especially if patients have shunts and baffles. They have altered hemodynamics and altered anatomy, and um, th it's very difficult in some of these patients to get a high-quality study. So one of the common in indications we'll see is a patient with a Fontan shunt and they have shortness of breath and are concerned that it could be a pulmonary embolism. Important to understand how to protocol these cases. You cannot use the standard pulmonary artery timing. You have to use a longer delay, and you don't want to put the region of interest marker over the pulmonary artery. You have to put it over the distal conduit. So what this is is a conduit from the inferior vena cava to the right pulmonary artery. So as you can imagine, we have to wait for the contrast to get all the way into the inferior vena cava before we're going to be able to enhance that right pulmonary artery. So let's look at a case of this. You can see using the standard timing, the left pulmonary artery is enhanced, although there's a lot of mixing artifact there. It's markedly enhanced compared to the right side, which has absolutely no enhancement. So the right side can't make any sort of determination as to whether there's thrombus. And then on the left side, there's so much mixing artifact, it limits your ability to determine whether there's a PE. So let's, here's the same patient. So we're going to compare the standard timing and the delayed timing. As you can see, in the delayed timing, of course, the enhancement level is much lower. But both the right and left sides um, are enhanced. Now here's the conduit, as you can see. On the delayed scan, the conduit has filled in with contrast, which is going to enable enhancement of the right pulmonary arterial system. Again, here's the conduit. On the standard timing, there is no contrast there, and so there, there's no way that contrast can reach the right pulmonary artery system. On the delayed scan, we've filled the conduit and the right pulmonary artery system. Another pitfall in these patients who have had, if they've had a Blalock talcig shunt, this is so critical, you have to look back at their history and you may have to go back through multiple documents and, and records in, e, in your EPR to see if they've had Blalock talcig shunts as a child because these can calcify or they may ligate them. And if you don't know that these are present, you can mistake it for a pulmonary embolism because it was originally a conduit to the pulmonary artery. It's contiguous with the pulmonary artery but it looks like it's thrombosed. So in this patient had bilateral blalactalsic shunts that were contiguous with the upper lobe pulmonary arteries, but as you can see, there's no enhancement. Now, the, the thing that helps you make this diagnosis is there's, there's a little bit of calcification at each end of this vessel. So that should make you realize that this is not a normal pulmonary artery. This is, in fact, a shunt that has thrombosed. Here's an example of a pulmonary valve replacement. If you've never seen one before, this is what they look like. Very rare, but this is the characteristic appearance. And this is uh, the, something that we see very rarely, but you can see a catheter fragment within the pulmonary artery, um, as shown in this case. And the next one is, again, a quiz case. We see very high-density material 
within the small pulmonary arteries in the right lung, much higher density than the contrast enhanced larger pulmonary arteries. So it can't be contrast enhancement. So if you've seen this before, if you see it once, then you'll know what it is. Another example, see this very high density material. And this is the uh, characteristic appearance for vertebroplasty cement. Occasionally, these patients who undergo vertebroplasty will have embolization of the cement into the pulmonary arteries. And as you can see in this case, the patient's undergone vertebroplasty in the lower thoracic spine. Okay, let's talk for a minute about making the diagnosis of a pulmonary embolism on a non-contrast scan. Of course, that is non-contrast CT is not the way to image for pulmonary embolism, but occasionally you may actually see a clot. And unlike the contrast-enhanced scan, on the non-contrast scan, thrombus in the pulmonary artery is higher density than blood in the lumen. So look at the look at the density of the aorta here. Look at the density of the non-thrombosed lower lobe pulmonary artery, and then look at the density of the thrombus on the non-contrast scan, much higher density. This is only a diagnosis that you can make in the setting of a large pulmonary embolism for the most part, and it's high density, and it's not something that you would want to even call definitively. It's the kind of thing that you might suspect, but it really needs to be confirmed with a contrast-enhanced study. Um, again, here's the same case showing you the difference in measurements. So the density in the lumen where the thrombus is not is about 25 Hounsfield units, but in the in the thrombo segment, the density ranges from about 66 to 94 Hounsfield units. So when you see densities in the 75 to 95 Hounsfield unit range in the pulmonary artery, then you have to really be suspicious. Or basically, in any in any um, vascular structure, in the portal vein on a non-contrast scan, when the density gets that high, you have to be concerned that there could be a thrombus there. All right, so thank you very much for. Um, for, for listening to my three talks, and I hope from these uh, presentations you've, you've gained an understanding that CT is really the first-line imaging tool for patient with suspected pulmonary embolism. Uh, the accuracy is very dependent on technique, and so protocol optimization is critical in these patients, knowing where to put the ROI tracker when you're doing bolus tracking, knowing when to trigger, understanding ways to help the patient avoid valsalva or any kind of motion that might move the cursor off of the main pulmonary artery. And so there has to be a lot of technologist-patient interaction to, to increase the likelihood of having a high-quality scan in these patients and minimizing the artifacts. Recognize and understand the appearance of pulmonary infarct. Um, you may actually see it in the lower lobes on an abdominal CT, so be aware of that, especially in inpatients and oncology patients. Um, and then some of the more unusual things that we, that we reviewed within the pulmonary arteries that you may encounter on CT. So thanks so much and have a great day.